I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity, auth, versioning, and more. So welcome back to API Intersection for our bonus Q&A. Pile of interesting questions here. And uh, our co-host, Adam Duvander. Adam, you want to tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Jason. Yeah, I work at Every Developer, where we help companies engage developers around APIs. So love digging into these questions. I've really been enjoying all the guests that we've had come through on the podcast. And yeah, and then the discussion that kind of grows up around that. And so we're digging into those today. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we uh, couldn't take on the questions without all the things that we learned from the guests and uh, vice versa to some extent. Point us to the interesting stuff. So what's on deck there? What do you got on your desk, Adam? So I've got a question here from Lori Ludwig from FNBO. She asks, do you have any tips and ways to solicit feedback from potential customers of an API product? feel like this one has come up, Jason, a lot on <laughs> conversations with guests. Yeah, for sure. I think from guests, you know, I think in some ways I'll admit like there's been a lot of ambiguity to this question or to the answers, right? Everyone is kind of mumbles a little through that one because it's tough. I think part of that for me is it depends, right? Which is a classic like, you know, seasoned architect answer right now. And now <laughs> a CTO job even worse, right? Everything's vague. But no, seriously, I think the reason is let's first establish what are API products? Well, that's like everything now, right? Like everything is transitioning if it is, hasn't already into some kind of API-based product. So then we have to walk that back. Who's the customer? And how are they going to be using it? It's like if the customer is your front-end developers, we'll just go ask them or you know maybe provide them a means to define it themselves, right? Some... UX aggregation kind of stuff with a GraphQL, a common answer. But if that customer is a partner and you have some equitable relationship with them, it may not be a big concern of theirs because they're just hiring contractors to do the work anyways. So if the customer, let's say, is random external developer who's building serendipitous things with your API that are hard to predict, that's a different space entirely. So I think first, my answer to many questions on API product is, how do you manage a product, product manager? Yeah. Because this is just another product. And old school stuff works. It's just, it's a different audience. So you got to think about how to relate to that audience. So my first rule of thumb with API feedback is pizza and beer goes a long way. In other words, how do you incentivize a group of client developers, whatever that client format is, to just come and use the thing and build something. Tactile feedback rules every time, right? Send them documentation, ask them what they think. They go, oh, it's fine, because they didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can relate to that one, Adam. Yep. One of the things maybe within this question that I've heard a bunch from, from talking to guests is kind of some of this feedback happens before there is an API. I mean, if you're doing it in a way that really... <laughs> that that incorporates what even needs, like what does it even need to do? So before you even are talking about what does the interface look like? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely a theme with guests, and I know certainly at you know Stoplight we're looking at these things that like everything's shifting left, and the beginning of the whole process is this kind of design the API before you implement it. A lot of times it's like, oh wow, you're spending a lot of time and energy on that, and you know, for the old school types, isn't this just another whistle kind of thing? But I think it's a design thing, and for me, it's like in the same way that user experience went through a revolution over the last 20 years in being empathetic to the user and asking them what they think and watching what they do. I think we have the same emergence happening with developer experience. And unfortunately, the word's been co-opted to mean developer portal, but that's not what it means, right? That's often the first touch point. But the entire experience is, yes, you got to a portal. Yes, you found the thing you wanted, you discovered it. And now you're using it. And what happens? And the best way is if you can actually watch them do it, just like we do user studies for user experience. And say like a big public API with lots of developers using it, you might not be able to get a big enough cross-section of data from pizza and beer in a room. Give someone a way to play with a fake API. Yeah. Someone that's actually going to use it. That's the generic answer. And it just depends on who the customer and what the audience looks like. But, you know, for me, I... It's like I used to have a post-it on my monitor for like a year to remind me. And it was relative to other things, but I think it's true here. They share the plan early and often. And I think when with developer customer bases, there's this tendency to think, well, you know, it's got to be a good experience, so we shouldn't show them anything until it's perfect. <laughs> and it won't be, right? I've even seen literally year-long debates over should this be REST, GraphQL, or what tech should it even be? And that one for me is real simple. Like, just ask. <laughs> it's like, what does your client want? And I know there's the like, well, tell them what they need, ask them what they want, and then give them what they need. But at least as of now, and you know, this is early 2021, GraphQL is probably not a safe assumption that your clients are going to thrive with that. Right. And it probably is dependent on the data set that you're using. And in every place I look where people ask informally what format should be used, and I've done this myself on social media in the last year or two. But if you have the question, just ask that community of end user developers what they think would work best. And if you don't want to ask them and you want to study what they do, is build really crappy mock prototypes off of a spec of all of the above. And pizza and beer will find the way, right? Like find a way to incentivize them. By the way, Amazon gift cards can be pizza and beer in my metaphor, yeah. <laughs> right? Like find an incentive to get them to try those things and put a, a metric of success to it. If speed of execution is what counts, you want a fast integration because maybe that leads to improved customer retention in your case or because it's going to unlock revenue in some fashion. To get sort of the the business user stakeholder in the room and and then be able to show this is the this is the data that will come back does that answer the questions that your your application has yeah i'm i'm sure i've said it on the short show before but like my quip of developers try business buys is the first paragraph that introduces what an api does so in your spec file the first paragraph of the description should be readable by anyone and they should get the gist of what it does. Don't jump right to the technical stuff of like how to 
going right into reference material and how to make the call and auth and all that stuff. Like, just tell me what the thing does. Because anyone involved may read that and go, oh, that's not what I need. Right? Like, and right off the bat, you're getting to the point. Is this thing useful? There's great formats for this from the product management standpoint, like the job is to be done framework. There's ways to interview and ask these questions that are non-leading that will lead you to, what are you trying to do with this thing? That helps too. Again, old school product management goes a long ways. But if you don't say what the thing does in the first place, and you're just expecting it to be self-describing, and sorry listeners who are coders that say code is self-describing, you're wrong. It's not. Neither are APIs. They give a good indication, but someone needs to tell you what they built it for, what they intended its use to be, because you might misinterpret it. Which, you know, all of this is other forms of feedback, right? Even without, I would say even if you only have a vague notion of how you're going to define the API. All right, Jason, I've got one from Bailey, a communications manager here. Can you go over why a design-first approach is more beneficial than a code-first approach? And what makes developers choose one or the other? So maybe we take those one at a time. What's, why is design-first beneficial? I think first off, interesting get sort of a non-technical role asking these kinds of questions. And it's, it's relevant to know, like, in a lot of companies, this question of some executive type reads a book and says API first is good and tells everyone we're doing API first. Or, you know, maybe you get a technology leader who says we're doing API design first. Everyone goes, what the heck does that mean? Right? So I think there's, there's curiosity on these topics now that goes beyond your typical kind of developers building APIs um, and it's relevant. So I think there's two layers to the, the answer in terms of technical, non-technical in some sense. And then what makes developers choose your right is maybe a, a whole different thing. So I think on the non-technical basis, let's say, is that code first is basically we get the idea to build an API, we go build an API. And then somewhere along the way, folks start trying it and figure out if it fulfilled the requirements. And I would say that's it's like the default state of things. That is, if you're in a five-person early stage startup, this is how all things are built, right? You just start coding it and figure it out. And if it's wrong, then you go fix it. Design first is you've got some abstract method of describing an API without actually writing any real code. So in the kind of REST world, your open API, you know, historically there's been a, other choices like RAML or Blueprint. I think open API is generally kind of the way now that most people have adopted. In other formats, you've got like Protobuf for gRPC. GraphQL kind of has its own ways of doing that essentially. But it's essentially saying we're going to design this in the abstract without writing any code. You know, which is more beneficial I will admit upfront, I am I work at a company called Stoplight, where our whole platform is opinionated on being design first. Yeah, yeah. But I also feel that's that's reflective of the trend in the industry toward design first, which you know we believe in. I think code first. The advantage is you're coding faster. That's the obvious reason why people just go like, go build the damn thing and stop talking about it, right? And that can be good, by the way, especially in places where you don't have good decision-making processes. Another theme we see with guests on the show is that topic always comes up, right? In some engineering organizations these days, 
you know, in product and really across companies as a whole, I think like this tendency to just debate things to death and try to make everybody happy is just it's a bit of an infection in, in the software business the last few years. So if you don't have good decision-making processes, starting to go code something and show that it's possible can quiet down a lot of the dissent. And, you know, obviously like that imply in business terms turns into could be fast time to market, which is definitely another potential benefit to just start coding something, right? Stop talking. The problem I think is, is not so much how to build one API, but it's how to build a cohesive platform that is a collection of underlying systems that look like one platform when you see the catalog of APIs. That's where code first is almost impossible in my experience to really produce a very consistent experience. And I would say the other downside of the code first approach is it's hard to find reusability. Now, granted, if you have really smart developers who are super connected with a customer, you may be super successful at it. So be it. In most organizations, as things scale up to a certain level, you need a way to ensure kind of consistency, and that is design consistency, much like with the UX world, something like a design system, where you say like, oh, everything looks and feels the same, even though it's maybe a hundred different underlying applications. The same is true for the developer experience, that you know everything uses the same basic conventions. But then there's a rational aspect of it too, which is where we're back into kind of it's just design is are these terms that the the API client knows are these ideas that resonate with the end user and the customer and so in the downside of the code first across many many APIs is that each of those might miss the mark a little bit and be a little different from each other and in both of those cases you either end up with inconsistency or having to redo work or both. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think there's a question of usefulness. Did you build the right thing at all? And now you've you've potentially got huge rework if you built the wrong thing. Now delays in time to market. So as much as it's like code first, you go, oh, cool, we'll get to market faster. But it's like, is it the thing that the clients wanted? It may actually be twice as long if you did it totally wrong from the start. Duplication is the other point that you made. Super important in a design-first pattern, the moment someone proposes an API, make it discoverable to people that are going to use it in some fashion to say, this is coming, especially in an internal kind of microservices strategy. Someone has proposed to build this kind of API. Another team might look and go, oh, someone already built, someone's already working on building that. Let's go pour gas on their fire and help them and not duplicate the work and build another one. And now you get a much better end result, potentially sharing of budgets, all that kind of stuff. And so design first still could have a lone wolf or one team sort of off in a corner. Like that that could still happen, but it seems like it is better set up for like there's a mechanism to share with and collaborate. Yeah. And I mean, I think building an API program to kind of provide the governance for design-first approaches, mostly to, to see the patterns and recognize the things that recur across your platform. That takes time to build up as a discipline and build trust in from the business and from the engineering side. So that's potentially a downside-ish, but I would say even if your company isn't doing a program for it, it's worth it within your team 
it's worth it. Even if you're just building an API for your own front end, your own team can parallelize work. The other cool thing is you can define the, the definition of the API mock it. Your front end devs can start working on it against a mock. Your back end devs can work on implementing and you can have kind of tighter feedback loops. And ultimately your time to market super fast relative to wait for the back end team to build the API. The front end team gets the first version of it, hates it, sends a bunch of feedback, has to replan all their work. Ask me how I know. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think that uh, with your CTO hat, that seems like the, if you have developers who are resistant to design first, being able to show those benefits, not only the that you don't have to go back and redo the work, but also that you can help your teammates be able to work faster and know that you're building the right thing. That that seems like, if, yeah, <laughs> the way to encourage it. There's probably a sensible scale to all this too, right? Like I've seen a lot of people reference like organization of 50, something like that is where more of this kind of governance program thinking, and you may not have anyone dedicated, but some process by which you design before releasing to ensure better coordination. You know, if you're a team of 10 or you're a company of 10 and you got, you know, three people coding, all right, well, you're all right there. You can just stay in sync. It's easy. It's at a certain scale that coordination gets hard and these things become exceedingly valuable as the scale goes up, for sure. Great. Thanks for answering that one. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, again, I feel like we could probably do a, an extended workshop on, on questions that come up like this. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question, and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.